Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Thrawn, and you're listening to Execute Chapter 66. Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. And tonight we are talking Tarkin. That's right. (laughs) We are going back to our fan favorite, James Lucino, to discuss the book Tarkin. My name is Beth Van Dusen. Of course, with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to be discussing this book as if you have already done the reading or don't care about spoilers. Over the course of our conversation, we may also spoil anything else Star Wars. That has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, Holonet says what? Well, it's the holiday season and it is a slow time for news. Um... Of course, the big thing is the Book of Boba Fett is about to start. Uh, so we've been getting lots of yeah, teasers and commercials and all that. But the exciting thing I thought at least was we get real swoop bikes and they look great. You know, the rest of it, whatever. But swoop bikes. <laughs> Dude, we're about to, we're, we're coming up on another, what, six hours of live action Star Wars. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to watch it, but you know. Don't be so pessimistic. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Still no Cad Bane, though. Yet. Yet. There we go. Our most exciting news, of course, is they have cast Sabine Wren. Yay! It's, uh, I'm probably going to mess her name up, but Natasha Lou Bordizzo. She was on, what has she been on? I know she was in um, Guns Akimbo. That's where I know her from. Oh, yeah. I knew she looked familiar. Yeah, she's been on a couple of shows I've never heard of. She looks great. Looks exactly like like people want her to. And this is going to be up for the Ahsoka show. Yep, she will be on the Ahsoka show. They have also cast um, Ivana Sakno. They have said that she is a new character for the show, but the old fake Hollow is reporting that she is going to play some sort of Chiss. Ooh. I thought you were going to say a Martez sister. That would be awesome, too. Mm. So some kind of Chiss. May I recommend a certain Admiral? That would be awesome. Over in the book news, uh, we knew previously that Tempest Runner was going to get released in script form in a book in Germany originally, but they have now released or announced they will be putting it out in America. So you could read Tempest Runner, I guess, the script if you really wanted to. I don't know. I looked through it with a Jedi Lost version and I just can't see reading it like that. That did. I I read Jedi Lost, unfortunately, and it wasn't. I mean, I've read a lot of plays, so I understand how to try to read a play, but it's not the same. Other kind of Disney-esque stuff, you know, we had talked about that Kennedy got rehired and she did a big article in Empire magazine. So there's lots of like little things coming out of that. They did say uh, Rangers of the New Republic is not going to move forward in any way. Yeah, I thought we already knew that. But yeah, I yeah. thought so too. Well, and people were wondering, like, right, are they still going to do Rangers of the New Republic and not going to put Dune in it somehow and like recast or... Bill Burr is sitting right there. But apparently they're just going to take everything and throw it into the Mandalorian no, next season. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. So, you know, it's fine, I guess. I mean, there's going to be a couple more of these. There's going to yeah. be a couple more of the shows that they announced when they when they bid that big dump. There's going to be a couple more that don't happen. 
Yeah, I would assume. Over in the collecting side with our Rancor update. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this comes out, we will know the fate of the Rancor. You know, we talked last time about their exciting cardboard cutout insert they were going to give us. <laughs> and how you could watch the numbers dropping. Well, Hasbro figured out, whoops, this is not going well. And so they came out and said, fine, if you buy the Rancor, Malakili will come with it. Base level, he'll come with it. And so it's been fun to watch the numbers. <laughs> um, it was at after the crappy cardboard cutout announcement. It dropped down to 4,700 roughly. They got to have 9,000 to make it. As of recording today, we are at 4,994 with five days left. Oof. That does not look good. It doesn't. It went over 5,000 today for a little while. Things are not looking good. (laughs) I don't know. Now, usually with these Haslabs, the last day goes crazy. That's a lot. That's that's 4,000 they got to make up in five days, right? Yeah. I think they need to do something a little bit more. Well, what people want is Ula. I think if they would announce right. Ula, it would happen. I think they want to make characters in those outfits. I don't think they do either. If they're yeah. going to do it, this is the way to do it. Because it's never going to go into a store. Yeah, collector's product. Yeah, so this would be the only way they would do it. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's happening. So it's just been a disaster. It really has. I'm sure it would have been great. It looked cool. Well, that's pretty much all the news we have this evening. Like I said, not a lot going on. High Republic Trail of Shadows number two of five by Daniel Older continues the story of Jedi investigator Emmerich Kaftor. Kaftor? Uh, he gets teamed up with a private investigator named Sion Holt. It's kind of this odd couple pairing, and they're trying to find a weapon that the Nihil have been trying to put up for sale in the black market. But anyway, it's, it's like a Jedi detective story. It's not bad. Uh, High Republic Adventures number 11 by Older and Tolabao. Told about. Wow, it's a, it's a cool last name. The Masters and Padawans take a much needed break to participate in the Great Jedi Rumble Race. What is that? It's a crazy ass foot race through the Starlight Beacon where there are no rules. Zine participates, even though she's not a Jedi. Ram rides on his droid thing because, again, no rules. I'm not going to tell you who wins the race, but it's kind of done dirty. But that's what happens when you have no rules. It's just a fun, like, it's meant to be, I think, a palate cleanser between all of the awful. Darth Vader 18 by Pack and Kirk. In the wake of War of the Bounty Hunters, Vader is now on a quest to hunt down and root out any members of Crimson Dawn, who, like I said before, kind of, I think, going to be the Star Wars version of Hydra. Vader, quote unquote, enlists his buddy Ochi to help him hunt them down. And I think we're seeing a little bit of what Crimson Rain is going to be about. Oh, and the return of Sabe. So that's exciting. Oh, good. Bounty Hunters 18 by Sax and Box. Uh, Valance is not on the cover. For this one, which is nice, uh, but that's because all the bounty hunters think that the Tony Stark wannabe is dead, and when he's really just in Imperial custody. Balance, on the other hand, gets a new cybernetic part and is not happy about it. But what are you going to do? Are you going to give Vader back a present he gives you? No, it wasn't a bad bounty hunters. It's as good as you can get with him in it, probably. They're starting a new arc with this with him working for Vader. It looks like. I guess they figure it worked for Afra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess maybe, maybe. But uh, no, that's it in comics. So because we're talking about a author that is very special to all of us tonight, we decided that we would bring on our very favorite guest star and birthday boy, Mr. Gary Mitchell. Happy life day and happy birthday, Gary. Thank you. Thank you. This combined with my name just proves that being a geek is my first best destiny. You had no choice. 
Well, we're glad you're here. And uh, because this is a special episode, instead of our usual mini topic, we're going to have a what if discussion along the lines of the recent Marvel what if series. It's time for a Star Wars what if. Kind of a game. Yeah. Kind of a game. We'll all play with it. This is nobody's uh, nobody's babies. We're all just going to jump in on an idea and, and have fun. So, Gary, as you are the guest, why don't you go first? All right. Well, you know, I ran through all the ones everybody's done a thousand times. Like, you know, what if Luke died at some particular place or what if, you know, the ones everybody always thinks of. But the first one that that, that popped into my head that I've always wondered is, what if Han is a better shot and takes out Vader on the death at the end of the de- of uh, A New Hope? Oh, what Ooh, if Vader okay. dies with the Death Star with Tarkin? The Emperor is now without his two big right hand mans. He's lost yet another apprentice. Hmm. Where where does he go? Well, first of all, these are Sith. He's got at least two or three other side bitches somewhere. Yeah, so he'd have to pull someone up from the ranks of the Inquisitoris, maybe. Yeah, that's the first place I was thinking. Is it would have to be an Inquisitor, but it. We don't really know how many survived rebels because a good chunk of them died. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. True. No, that's a good one. I think he would have to find an apprentice. I think. Well, I mean, he would go hard after Luke, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he would go real hard at Luke. How, how does he approach him? Does he approach him through other people saying, hey, I knew your dad? Yeah, I think he has to, you know, we don't know the whole story yet, but but kind of like Snoke did with. Ben Solo, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, try to approach it that way through some kind of secondary medium. Um, I don't know. But yeah, he, he would he would definitely concentrate on what he know. I guess he would find out the Skywalker existed for sure. And oh, then, yeah. um, well, you got to figure the second the emperor hears, by the way, your your giant planet killer has been blowed up by this kid named Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good one. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would have to be Palpatine finding a new apprentice and where would he find somebody? And of course, how, where would he find someone that could even come close to replacing Anakin? And then what does that do with, if he picks someone that's not Luke, how does Jedi play out without someone going, you know, Hey, would you mind turning on the emperor dad? Well, Luke probably doesn't face the emperor. And- yeah, I wouldn't think so. Cause he doesn't have a reason to go because there is no Vader there for him to confront. Or even if he does confront him eventually, the emperor would just smoke him. Like, yeah, it would even yeah. Be like, uh, I see old Yoda didn't teach you to catch the lightning on your lightsaber trick. But maybe he would have because Vader wouldn't have been there to pull uh, Luke away from his training. Oh, yeah. Oh. Luke probably would have continued. Luke would have just stayed on Dagobah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shwet, go ahead. All right. So I'm going to do some of mine in order of the trilogy. So my first one is from the prequels. What if Qui-Gon, remember he was a Jedi... And there was a freaking slave in front of him. And he didn't just go, eh, we got to go. And they take Shmi with them. Mm. Does Anakin um. still fall if they take him away from his mama and he's trained? Yes. Yeah. I think so, too. But I think he falls differently. Yeah. Yes. Because they're going to still separate him from his mom. It's the whole, you know, no attachments, kid. He, you know, it was nice knowing your mom. Now she's off in whatever. What do the Jedi do with the parents of these kids they collect? Most of the time, they probably wouldn't need to do anything with them because the kids are, you know, given up willingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with Shmi, they would have to find something for her to do. Yeah. Like, do they put her to work in, like, the Jedi temple somewhere? Here, here mop up. <laughs> Who babysits the younglings? Like, is there, like, a Jedi who's, like, 
the nurse Jedi who like takes care of the four-year-olds. Maybe she could do that. There's got to be. I mean, mm-hmm. four-year-old can't take care of themselves. Yeah. They'll tell you that they can. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I mean, my thing is like, like, yeah, Watto, he can't be, you know, you can't force uh, mind tricking. Yeah, cool. I have a lightsaber. I'm just going to stab you in the chest, Watto. Mine's actually uh, related to that. You're little Annie Skywalker. And you're cleaning some power couplings when Watto comes buzzing into the shop, frantic, his wings beating. It seems that some huts that he owes money to have sent a bounty hunter after him. And he tells you to shut the blinds, close the doors, lock it up, don't answer the door. So what if Watto's shop had been closed the afternoon that Qui-Gon and Padme came by looking for a hyperdrive? Oh. Basically, what if Qui-Gon Jinn never met Anakin Skywalker? Oof. I guess it depends if they find another hyperdrive. Or how so first of all, they have to find another hyperdrive. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got to assume they will eventually. No, no pod race. They go to Coruscant still probably from there. Mm-hmm. So everything plays out the same until you get to the droid control ship. Yeah, because Anakin's not there to blow it up. Rico Lee doesn't save the day. <laughs> Rico Lee will <laughs> never save the day. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a huge question saying if Anakin Skywalker had never been discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, but you know, I was just thinking more in short term as far as how it affects that movie and the and the prequels going forward. Like, I guess Dooku gets to be Sith Lord for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine mine was almost identical to yours, except mine was what if Watto accepted Republic credits? Uh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very close. Yeah, very close. Except yeah. that Anakin would still have those Force powers, and I assume that they would grow, and and as he discovered them, he would grow into them. And I I see a kind of Anakin freeing the slaves and eventually rolling over it, like rolling through Moss Eisley and demolishing it, like riding at the, you know, riding on top of a like giant sandworm with the Fremen behind him. <laughs> yeah, Lots of bagpipes like for some reason. Yes. Yeah, for no it. reason at all. Yeah, I dig it. Like, yeah, Anakin is uh, as Moses or something. Yeah. He would eventually become somebody. Yeah. Crime Lord of Tatooine. Just in mind, he becomes Muad'Dib. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Gary, you got another one for us? Uh, Yep. I'm going to step out of the Star Wars universe for a second to do the meta one. And what if Gary Kurtz hadn't walked away? Uh, He left uh, between Empire and Jedi. And that was one of the main reasons was the conflict of how he thought Jedi should play out versus how Lucas wanted it to play out. You know, he wanted the downer ending. He wanted to. Oh, he wanted to kill Lando. Yeah, Iced Lando, Luke, the, I think the Emperor gets away and Luke has to do the, spend the next trilogy hunting down the Emperor. Yeah. I don't think all that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he doesn't leave, uh, you know, George still writes the checks. Right. Um, but you get something in between, probably. He would have mm-hmm. to, you know. I think Lando still dies. Yeah. I think Lando dies then. I still, to this day, don't think they did that not to, they didn't do that to save Lando. They did it to save the Falcon. Yeah, I don't think George yeah. can bring himself to blow up the Falcon. And I probably would never have forgiven him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe the Ewoks are a little more feral. Mm-hmm. It's not as not as cute. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe they find a way to make the Wookiee thing work. Mm. I, the Wookiee thing can still work. Like, there's nothing to keep you from essentially making indoor Kashyyyk. Because we know nothing about Kashyyyk at that point. You could just be like, yeah, Chewbacca is just kind of more evolved than them. And here you go. Or or not even more evolved. Yeah, Chewie just, he's, yeah, he's been out amongst he's the cultured. stars. Yeah. Well, he, well, he's been gone. Right. I mean, PG-13 didn't exist yet, but you definitely get something a little on the darker side, apparently, you know, from what Kurtz wanted. But I still don't think you get the giant bummer ending. Oh, no. Ever. Back to me. Back to you. Okay. So mine, and I think this has been done before. I couldn't really remember it, but it's never been done like I want to see it. 
I want to see Prince Luke and Moisture Farmer Leia. Just, Ooh. just switch them. That, that was one I considered, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does Luke stay whiny as a prince and not become a hero of the Rebellion? And so Bale gets more involved and eventually they have to go find Leia, who's probably tough as nails and ready to be a Jedi. I see Leia in this situation as every trailer park girl you've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) She should be played by Juliette Lewis. Yeah, she's smoking, she's drinking, she's out riding people on... She can um, outshoot every boy in that one bantha town. Yes. I think no one tells her she can't go to Tashi Station. (laughs) (laughs) No, here's the thing is, she gets along real well with Owen, it's her and Baru that butt heads. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how it works, right? Oh, yeah. Daddy's girl. She would be able to shoot like a mother, Uh right? The one thing you never quite get, which is in A New Hope, is that Luke is out for revenge for his aunt and uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's never he never really is like this is for Baru. Like he never once mentions her ever again. So like but yeah, Leia, just, I would see Leia would like strap up for a revenge movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because with Luke it's like, yeah, my parent my, my aunt and uncle are dead, I'm ready to become a Jedi and her it's like, no, people are going to die. It turns into a Tarantino movie. <laughs> <laughs> so so if I become a Jedi I can kill everybody? Ben's got to step in. But we've talked about this. Leia's probably a little closer to the anger in the dark than Luke is. Yeah. So that can oh, also yeah. go some bad ways, too. I'm going to go to the sequels. What if Evan2187 had liked being a stormtrooper? Hmm. Mm. Oh, that's good. I mean, first of all, it means he shoots people in the that opening scene, whatever it is, right, with Max von right. Sydow. But, like, he gets back to the ship, what happens? So, like, Poe never gets rescued. Mm-hmm. Um, so Poe probably dies. And nobody gets the rest of the map. Well, no, BB-8 is still with Ray. Oh, yeah. Now, here's what I think happens. BB-8 is still with Ray. She doesn't have Finn to slow her down. I think she gets in that quad jumper, not in the Falcon. Mm. Before the quad jumper gets blown up and she never flies the Falcon away. And her and BB-8 run off in the quad jumper. Now, BB-8 knows how to get to the, uh, the Resistance. So they probably still get there. But then Han doesn't get wrapped up. Yeah. Han mm. doesn't get wrapped up, back up in it. So Han maybe doesn't die now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> And I think about it, if he if Han doesn't get pulled, that, that's only if she goes to the quadruple, not to the Falcon. But she, the Falcon, she thought was a piece of shit. Yeah. And she hooks up with Leia. Leia's like, hey, this girl's got potential. Leia's going to feel the force in her. Right? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, and Luke is still missing and Kylo is still evil. But maybe Han doesn't get pulled back into it. The whole trilogy kind of hinges on this decision by the stormtrooper that he doesn't want to be a stormtrooper anymore. Mm. All kind of snowballs from there. Uh, so that was my second one. Beth, what's yours? What if Bale hadn't been on Alderaan when it got exploded? Ooh. Would he have been the hero of the rebellion? He would have been one of the leaders for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But after his daughter being trapped on the Death Star, one would think that he would probably make her take a step back. Will she listen? Yeah, she probably wouldn't listen, but he, he would probably step forward so that she was not quite quite so at the forefront, or at least in quite so much danger. How does the whole tactics of the rebellion change with him working with Mon Moth? Because you got to figure he ranks right there with her at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, does he go nutso when, if Bria dies? Mm. And, like, and, and, and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, his his entire else. planet, including his wife, get exploded, and his daughter is you know, being violently threatened by psychopaths on the thing that killed his planet. And he knows Vader's Anakin, right? Uh Uh-huh. Does he become the new Saw Gerrera? 
Does he Maybe. tell Luke? Oh, God. Does he meet Luke and be like, I got some news for you. I don't know if it changes the story that much. I think it changes. I think it changes the rebellion. It changes. It changes the, yes, the structure of the rebellion. And it probably changes Leia's role in it. <laughs> um, one way or another. She may end up having more power than she does, you know. Yeah, well, and the whole she's your sister bomb gets pulled a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Or does it? Does he keep that to himself? Does he call Yoda on the hollow net and say, hey, um, what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> <laughs> he had also planned on telling her about Vader slash Anakin a lot sooner, too. That dude who tortured you. Surprise. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going Clone Wars for this one, and a lot of Star Wars kind of hinges on tragic events. What if they had managed to listen to Fives when he uh, figures out what's going on with the chip, that something's wrong, mm. and he doesn't get killed before they figure it out, and the clones find out early that somebody's messing with their heads? Because then the Jedi find out. Like, if Fives makes it through and tells them, yeah. the rest, mm. Obi-Wan will know, or Anakin pretty fast and that kind of Rex would have to tell him right yeah 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 because yeah, Cody would know or Rex or one of them like and that unravels a whole lot of stuff real fast order 66 is now completely in jeopardy right yeah, yeah. does he move up the timetable and try to activate it earlier in the war mm-hmm because he can stop the war. I mean, you know, he can yeah. militarily. He is stop. the war. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah he's war. both sides. Yeah, he can yeah. stop it. So you do just move up the plan. Does he risk doing that? Because at this point, he hasn't fully converted Anakin over to his line of thinking. Right. Yeah. And does Anakin, when he finds out that, you know, because we know he cares about the clones. Yeah. And if he finds out that his good buddy Palpatine is actually screwing with the clones do they know it's palpatine well they probably no they wouldn't know it was they have palpatine. to investigate that yeah. you know sifo-dyas is dead so they can't track it through him mm-hmm. so there's going to be a little bit of like there'll be a little bit of mystery about them trying to figure out why who put these chips in them you know they'll, mm-hmm. they'll blame the Kaminoans and go after them wow. and, and see what they know and maybe that but the problem is the Kaminoans their their line for the initial order dies with Sifo-Dyas yeah and Anakin's visions of Padme have not gotten terrible at this point so he is less likely to flip yeah yeah that's a good one I don't know alright Ryan what you got alright so my last one is from the sequel trilogy and this one made me just think because we don't know much about it alright Ray's parents mm-hmm. first of all does this dude know who he is? I mean, he knows he's being chased around by OG, but one, does he know that he is uh, not a son, but a clone of Palpatine? He knows somebody's after him. So what if he takes Ray to Luke? Dropper on Jakku was not the best decision. Right. But everyone knows where the Jedi Temple is. If you show up, give Ray to Luke, and essentially complete the dyad when they're smaller, how does that change all of it? Look, he's a clone. He doesn't have the best parenting skills. Cut him some slack. He doesn't. <laughs> I, I think he changes it changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it legit changes everything. Like, there's no way they don't notice the kinship between Ben and Ray early on. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way. I mean, who does Palpatine get as his new Sith warrior? No, I think it'd be interesting. Do you still get Ben? Like, do you still have Snoke whispering in your ear? Only That's what I'm saying. Only this time... Like, it's him whispering, hey, who is that nobody? You're the Skywalker. You should be mm-hmm. number one super guy. Mm-hmm. And then I think you get more of the um, 
one of the things that I find astounding about Rise of Skywalker, and I'm not against it necessarily, is that it decided about halfway through the movie that, oh, this has been Romeo and Juliet the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Even though there was no indication of that before. And um, so that would actually be more of the Romeo and Juliet story that J.J. kind of imagined in the third movie. Yeah. Um, if they really were you know, two people that were bonded together, it doesn't have to be romantic. And Ben still manages to go over. Maybe, but I also think he's less likely to if he's got someone as powerful as Ray with him. Or yeah. Palpatine finds will be able to find Ray earlier. Mm. I would assume oh, yeah. he was able to find Ben because Ben started tapping in. Like, does he find Ray too and turn him against one another? All right, I'll, I'll give you my meta one. You are Alan Ladd Jr., nearly 40 years old, son of a Western movie star and a junior executive at 20th Century Fox. It's 1975, maybe 76, and today you're sitting down with George Lucas. You finally convinced the studio, your studio overlords to make the American Graffiti Director's weird-ass space opera film. All their attention was on the $17 million Damnation Alley, shooting soon, a science fiction epic starring Jan Michael Vincent and George Pappard. That's what they're <laughs> banking on. Uh, every studio in town, including Fox, had already passed on Lucas's movie, mostly because it was nearly impossible to see the film by looking at the script. But Ralph McQuarrie's concept art had won you over, and you were able to secure $11 million for Lucas to make his film. So you sit down with Lucas, and he accepts the budget, and then comes the matter of his director fee. And he says, Alan, I won't take any money for directing this thing. I want it all on the screen. In exchange, I want sequel and merchandising rights. What if Alan Ladd Jr. had eaten his Wheaties that morning, got up on the right side of the bed, listened to a motivational eight tracks on his drive to work, something. What if Alan Ladd Jr. had outmaneuvered George Lucas and Fox, not Lucas, had retained the rights for Star Wars? Mm. Does it go like John Carpenter in Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. Only worse. Like Lucas still makes the second one, probably. I know that Lucas kind of stepped back for the directing for a lot of reasons. So maybe he still steps back. Or does he direct them to retain the control that he doesn't have Mm. otherwise? I don't think we get Empire like it is. I think there's no way Fox lets them in Empire like that. Oh, yeah. Cliffhanger. Mm Mm-mm. They are going to want essentially another like one and done. A, a sequel. Yeah, they sequel. want a true just sequel and that's it. They want Star Wars 2. And yeah. then they make Star Wars Season of the Witch. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, what I'm wondering. Or Lucas makes it, right? Lucas makes Star Wars Season of the Witch and it blows the whole thing up. Does that mean we would have eventually gotten a Star Wars movie with Buster Rhymes? <laughs> We still might. Who the hell knows? Say Lucas sticks around and, and let's say a version of the original trilogy happens. He, he makes three films, Star Wars 1, Star Wars 2, and Star Wars 3D. Yeah, good call. And then he's done. But Star Wars 3 made way, was the highest grossing one of the bunch, so they're not walking away. What's it look like then? Star Wars uh, 4 or, or Chapter 1 or whatever does not come like 19 years later. It comes like five years later. I don't think you get a prequel trilogy. I think you just get Star Wars 4. And I think around 1995, you get a real bad TV show. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Starring Jessica Alba. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think 83, so we're talking maybe 86, does Jim Cameron do this instead of Aliens? Oh, wow. Yeah, Fox has the rights. I bet so. So James Cameron comes in and does the fourth one? 
Everything's the same as far as its box office, the success, the mania, right? Everything's the same, except all that money goes in the Fox's pockets and they get to make the decision. I'd say it was no, it would, it's quite possible it would no longer be relevant today. Because mm. here's what would happen we would get the sequel trilogy probably exactly how it is because they would come out and say only the first three movies count and then you go to these. Forget all that other <laughs> oh, stuff. God, it, it is Halloween. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> That is the thing too. Does it get stuck in the endless recycle, yes. endless cycle yes. of reboots and and it reboots and everything and, and restarts oh. that we're getting now? I think it almost becomes the Terminator. Yeah, or is yeah like the next movie that came out? Like it's the sixth Star Wars movie, but it's called Star Wars. <laughs> Fuck you, Scream. I'm going to see Scream 5. I am a Scream fan. I acknowledge that, that, that everything after the first one sucks, but I'm a Scream fan. Fuck you for calling Scream 5 Scream. Yeah. As long as someone can promise me Rob Zombie will never touch a Star Wars movie, <laughs> I'm okay. No, no, Rob Zombie's directing the one with Buster Rhymes. <laughs> That's fine. I know which one not to see. Did we get like a Jules Schumacher Star Wars at some point? Oh, does it God. get does it get to a point where it almost gets to a point of self-parody and then we have to have like the gritty reboot? I think if you look at what Star Trek did. It would mm. follow Star Trek pretty close, I bet. Yeah, where yeah. You would get slowly diminishing returns, and then we would get the Kelvin universe, and they'd reboot it, and then we'd have some awesome streaming shows. Yeah. So we wouldn't be that far off from where we are now? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Mm. You know, maybe. Yeah. If it managed to maintain relevance, I just wonder, yeah. like... It always ends with lens flares in space, no matter which way you go. <laughs> That was my last big one. Okay. Um, well, I, I got to say, I'm surprised that Schweck didn't have anything involving Plo Koon. We've discussed this. If he had survived, he would have saved the entire galaxy. All right. I'll, I'll let Schweck have his head cannon. My, my last big one, I guess, would be uh, what if Obi-Wan decided that Owen, Owen and Baru could handle Luke without him and Leia needed more protection? Oh. So he just went with Bail. I mean, does Luke just die on Tatooine? So, so you're saying Obi-Wan bails? Yes. <laughs> I, one of my first ones was, what if Owen said no? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Same thing. Well, not really. They'd have to find somewhere else to put Luke. There is nowhere else to put Luke. Dump him on Dagobah? Oh, God, if he, Luke grows up as Swamp Kid. <laughs> A feral Jedi. <laughs> Would the, the Death Star plans even ended up on Tatooine? Because where would she have run have. to with them? Yeah, they he were running to get him to Obi-Wan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's he, yeah, he wouldn't have the droids. The They would have, you know, it would have been a completely different scenario. Leia and the they could have still run for it, but they wouldn't have run to Tatooine. They'd have run wherever yeah. Obi-Wan was hiding out at. It never would have touched Luke. I mean, I guess you can. No, it would have eventually touched Luke, though. That's the thing, though. Like. Obi-Wan would have eventually come for him or Yoda or somebody would have come for him, right? Well, Yoda originally wanted Leia in the first place. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, you know, you can't break glass when there's an emergency. No, I'm saying like, what if, what if they decided to, you know, put their hopes on Leia? Oh, I know, but I still think Luke eventually gets pulled in. He would eventually get pulled in, but it would be in a different way and he wouldn't be the, the next chosen one or, or whatever. I really like the idea, though, of Luke growing up on Dagobah. Like, 
you thought him drinking out of that cow on uh, October. <laughs> we did see what Swamp Luke does. Um, one that I didn't want to get into too much that, that did come to me was, but but it's kind of just like, a, what if this person died? But what if TK4601 hadn't set for stun? Oh. Um, and base, but, you know, and, and that, that's, it basically just comes down to what if Leia died, you know, right. which kind of sucks. But it does, I, I, I did map it out and it does save Alderaan. True. Yeah. Because they got no reason to blow up Alderaan. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's no reason to blow up Alderaan. And, and it kind of, we kind of get in the scenario where you were talking about before where Bale. Oh, yeah. He would, he would go real hard at the Empire if they killed his daughter. Right. Mm. And, but, but he's still around to co run the alliance with yeah. Mothma, you know, but. But Leia doesn't. But the plans still go out. I was about to say, do you need Leia for the rest of the movies? Like, really? Plot wise, no. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is after she sent out the plans. So the plans yeah. still go to Tatooine. They still go to Luke. He still runs into Obi Wan. They still go to Mos Eisley. They still get in the ship, but they go straight to Alderaan. Yeah. Yeah. They go straight to Bale. And Bale is reunited with Obi Wan. And, and Tarkin is out there tooling around in the Death Star. And now they have the plans for the Death Star without all the rigmarole in the, in the in the middle. And the Death Star doesn't have, at least at this point, they don't know where the rebel base is because Leia's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're not going to get that from her anyway. And they don't have the Falcon to trace to Yavin. Mm-hmm. So they don't find the base. So the yeah. rebels, the rebellion has to set up an attack on the Death Star trying to figure out where the heck it's going. Right. And we get Alec Guinness in Clone Wars armor. <laughs> and we get Alec Guinness in Clone Wars armor. <laughs> it's his General Kenobi outfit back on. I, I, My only other one that I wanted to talk about was either what if Ahsoka didn't leave the Jedi or yeah. what if Ahsoka mm. was never found in the first place? What if Shwek's hero, Plo Koon, didn't find Ahsoka? How many times did she save Obi-Wan and, and Anakin's lives? A lot. Yeah, but he could have. But if they still felt like Anakin needed a Padawan, he would have maybe had another Padawan at that point. Mm-hmm. I guess to me, the question of whether Ahsoka stays or not is a really good one. The question of whether they ever met Ahsoka or not, it's like that's just called Star Wars before 2005. I think we know that that's not as good as Star Wars, though. No, exactly. But if her le- but her leaving, I did think about I did try to think about that one. That's one that came to me too. Was like what if she never left? What if she's with Anakin on Coruscant when she he finds out Palpatine's a Sith Lord? Yeah, surely surely he would listen to her. Maybe. At least for a second he would pause long enough for somebody else to step in. Does it end up being Anakin versus Ahsoka instead of versus Obi-Wan? Oh, man. I think he would end up having to pick Padme or Ahsoka. And Ahsoka representing the Jedi Order. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thing is, if Pat, if he still thinks Padme's in danger and he's still in his psycho, I won't let you go yeah. stalker zone, I don't think Ahsoka's going to get to him any more than Obi-Wan's going to. I don't think Obi-Wan's yeah. the one you switch. Imagine you switch Ahsoka with Mace Windu. Mm. They, they go together <laughs> and then she's holding it back and about to rest him oh, I can't finish oh, yes. this episode no no I'm pulling the plug I'm pulling the plug I have to go cry now I can't I can't finish that line of thinking oh my god alright we're done Shrek ruined it <laughs> oh, I'm so sad <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
five standard years have passed since Darth Sidious proclaimed himself Galactic Emperor. The brutal Clone Wars are a memory, and the Emperor's apprentice, Darth Vader, has succeeded in hunting down most of the Jedi who survived dreaded Order 66. On Coruscant, a servile Senate applauds the Emperor's every decree, and the populations of the core worlds bask in a sense of renewed prosperity. In the Outer Rim, meanwhile, the myriad species of former separatist worlds find themselves no better off than they were before the Civil War. Man of many titles, Wilhuf Tarkin is assigned to the desolate Sentinel Moon and the Outer Rim's Arcana Sector to oversee the mysterious Sentinel base. What could they possibly be building? Look at the size of that thing! Tarkin is reviewing at great length his newly designed Imperial military uniform with a protocol droid when Base Commander Castle informs him that Rampart Station is under a sneak attack from enemy starfighters. Tarkin deploys the Venator-class Star Destroyer Electrum to the edge of the system. Shortly later, a former Separatist carrier emerges from hyperspace and attacks Sentinel Base with droid starfighters. Springing the trap, Tarkin has the Electrum exit hyperspace and ambush the mysterious attackers who are using Separatist technology. Outgunned and ambushed, the attackers are forced to retreat. Tarkin reveals to his subordinates that the Rampart Station hollow transmission was a counterfeit designed to draw Imperial forces away from Sentinel Base. He determines that someone had managed to introduce a false feed into the Holonet Relay. Under Tarkin's supervision, forensic technicians examine the former Separatist droid starfighters. The technicians speculate that the mysterious attackers obtained former Separatist ships and equipment from junk dealers in criminal elements. While pondering on the identity of the mysterious attackers, Tarkin receives a hollow from Grand Vizier Masamita telling him that Sheev needs a word. In a flashback chapter, Tarkin reflects on his childhood, growing up on the Outer Rim world of Iriadu. Tarkin's family were the descendants of hunters, pilots, and miners who had built Iriadu's militia into a formidable sector military. Despite accumulating wealth and power, Tarkin's parents never forgot their frugal origins and instilled the values of discipline and order in their son. In his adolescence, Tarkin joined his uncle Jova on several hunting expeditions in the dangerous Carium Plateau, a relic of Iriadu's primeval past. Through Jorah, Tarkin learned the importance of triumphing over nature and bringing order to chaos. And killing a lot of stuff. Tarkin hops into his fancy ship and heads for Coruscant. The Carrion Spike is a custom-built Corvette filled with a Class I hyperdrive and stealth technology rendering the ship invisible to ordinary scanners. In another flashback... Young Cadet Tarkin meets then-Senator Palpatine, who saw potential in the young Iriaduin and helped him secure a place at the elite Judicial Academy. As a member of the Judicial Forces, Tarkin had taken part in a joint Jedi mission to subdue a coup in the colonial world of Halcyon. During the Halcyon Crisis, Tarkin developed a reputation as an effective leader, Tarkin later used his contacts with Palpatine to forge connections with the Supreme Chancellor during the Clone Wars. Masamita brings Tarkin to a private audience with Darth Vader in the lower levels of the former Jedi Temple. Tarkin and Amita witness Lord Vader addressing a meeting of crime lords who he violently encourages to relocate their operations to the Outer Rim. 
After informing Vader about the progress of the work at Sentinel, Tarkin meets with the Emperor. The two discuss the matter of reintegrating former Separatist world into the galactic community, the Death Star Project, and the attempted security breach at Sentinel Base. Tarkin then attends a meeting of the ruling council with other high-ranking Imperial officials, including the Emperor, Vader, and our old friends, Sate Pestich and Wolf Yalarin, as well as many other bigwigs from the ISB and military or naval intelligence. They all brief Sheev on a possible plot to subvert the holonet originating on Mercana, and Tarkin's presence becomes clear. During the Clone Wars, he kept the Separatists from propagating their propaganda efforts. Following the briefing, Sheev instructs Lord Vader to accompany Moff Tarkin to Mercana to investigate the communications equipment cache uncovered there. Governor Tarkin is then contacted by old clone trooper Sergeant Crest, who received a hollow transmission order purporting to be from Tarkin to return to the former Corporate Alliance building after offloading the cargo from the carry-on spike. Tarkin knows he didn't give those orders and tells the sergeant to return to the ship. Crest then contacts Tarkin and Vader to inform them that the carry-on spike has been stolen, with the captain, comm officer, and two stormtroopers killed. Lacking a starship of their own, Darth Vader forces an old ally, a a Sugi crime lord named Faza, to lend them his personal starship, the Parsec Predator. And by force, he means kill. On Coruscant, Darth Sidious learns about the theft of the carry-on spike and that Lord Vader has procured a replacement ship. Back on Coruscant, the ruling council is briefed about the hijacked ship. Heeding Tarkin's warnings, Rancid advocates preparing Imperial bases in the Outer Rim for a campaign of destruction. Studying the shipjackers' patterns, Tarkin suspects they were working with the warship that attacked Sentinel Base, and Vader suggests that the shipjackers are being aided by the same insiders who provided them with the confiscated communications cache. Back on Coruscant, this dummy Rancid thinks he's convinced the Emperor to deploy interdictor vessels against the carry-on spike. Masumita informs the Emperor that the cache of communication jammers was discovered on Mercana by an ISB agent tasked with investigating the find by his case officer, and Darth Sidious summons the ISB asset and his handler for a meeting. It does not go well. In the Obra Sky system, Tarkin's interdictor cruisers receive fake coordinates where they think the ship is going. Instead of the carry-on spike, they yank several civilian freighters and a Mon Calamari luxury liner out of hyperspace. This results in a space collision with multiple casualties, including the deaths of 1,100 civilians aboard the luxury liner. But sometimes you gotta break a few eggs, I guess. Lord Vader and Tarkin deduce that the insurgents fed them false coordinates to throw them off the scent. Vader and Tarkin aggressively question the Korovar captain of the surviving freighter and learn that a human broker named Knotts sold them the ship and the job. While Vader questions the Korovar, Tarkin continues the search for the carry-on spike. Now on board the Star Destroyer Executrix, Moff Tarkin deduces that the shipjackers are being aided by Imperial assets with high clearance. Delving into classified Imperial files, Tarkin discovers that Knotts had been a Republic intelligence subcontractor stationed on Antar IV during the Clone Wars. Following the establishment of the Empire, Tarkin had presided over the Antar Atrocity, which is as bad as it sounds. 
Tarkin's actions generated much criticism in the imperial media, including two Coruscanti journalists, Anora Fair and Hask Taff. He determines that Nantz was also connected to Captain Birch Teller, a dissident Republic intelligence officer who opposed the Antar atrocity. Tarkin also learns that Teller was briefly stationed at Desolation Station, which sounds fun, the outpost responsible for overseeing much of the Death Star's research. Tarkin tells Vader an intense story about how he defeated a pack of primate predators called Beermocks in his youth by pitting the alpha male against a scrappy beta named Shadow. He befriended Shadow and his pack to help them take down the leader, and once defeated, he killed Shadow to become king of the evil space monkeys. Vader opines that this lesson was that the Veermocks brought down themselves by turning on their leader. The two then ascertain, from this conversation somehow, that Vice Admiral Rancid is the traitor who has been aiding Teller's rebel cell. Above the Karita Imperial Navy Deep Dock Facility 2, the carry-on spike exits hyperspace. Before Vice Admiral Rancid can give the order to fire, Darth Vader enters the bridge and belays his commands, finding the ship empty. Vader tells Rancid that his co-conspirators have abandoned ship before fleeing into hyperspace. To cover his tracks, Rancid had planned to lure Teller's cell into a trap on Karita and kill them. However, Teller's cell realized Rancid's plans and transferred to another ship to continue their insurgency. As punishment for his treason, Lord Vader orders Lieutenant Crest to dump Vice Admiral Rancid into an escape pod, and once in space, Rancid is forced to issue the fire order that destroys his pod. Meanwhile, Teller and his cell are traveling aboard a former Separatist dreadnought over a barren moon when Teller realizes that his group will not be able to bring down the Empire on their own. So he decides to ambush a convoy, delivering material to the Death Star. Moff Tarkin comes to the convoy's aid with the Star Destroyer Executrix. With the tables turned on the dissidents, Salak and Anora buy enough time for Teller to escape on a headhunter starfighter. Tarkin's tactics work, and the Imperials succeed in knocking out the master control computer controlling the dissident starfighter droids. The Executrix is reinforced by two more star destroyers. While Darth Sidious meditates on his quest for galactic dominance, Tarkin greets his captives, including Knots, Anora Fair, and Hask Taff. Tarkin spends the next three weeks after the convoy attack interrogating and then quietly executing the captured conspirators and collaborators, but fails to find Teller. In a meeting with Vader and the Emperor, Tarkin explains that Rancid was motivated by the perceived slight he had been stripped of his command of Sentinel Base for objecting to the Empire's actions on Antar IV. Tarkin credits Rancid with supplying intelligence and materials to the dissidents. Vader also informs them that the Empire has punished the warehouse workers, salvagers, and scientists at Desolation Station who aided the dissidents. In the wake of Rancid's treason, the Emperor orders a reshuffle of his ruling council and and the incorporation of naval intelligence into military intelligence. The Emperor also tasks Tarkin with tightening the Empire's hold over the Outer Rim and promotes him to the rank of Grand Moff. Now Grand Moff Tarkin is placed in charge of the entire Outer Rim and the Death Star project. In the wake of this promotion, Tarkin gives lengthy interviews to the media, which coin his statements as the Tarkin Doctrine. This is essentially his own propaganda 
and making excuses for the tyranny he's helping to enforce. King of the evil space monkeys, indeed. Weeks later, Tarkin returns to Iriadu, where he reunites with his uncle Jova. Intent on revenge, Teller tracks Tarkin down but falls into a pit trap. While Tarkin refuses to divulge the details about the Death Star project, he does offer to let Teller go if he can climb out of the pit before nightfall. Teller rejects Tarkin's offer and leaves his uncle to watch over him in case he should cause trouble. This isn't mercy, though, since he's going to get eaten by predators as soon as it gets dark. Later, above the secluded world of Geonosis, Tarkin watches over the construction of the Death Star. If he felt at home on the bridge of a star destroyer, here he felt centered. The station was a vast technoscape, ripe for exploration. An unknown world awaiting his stamp of approval and his mastery. While most of the construction work was done in Micro-G, Omnidirectional boosters supplied standard gravity to a large cabin space near the surface that would one day become the overbridge with designated posts for Tarkin and various military officers. A conference room featuring a circular table, a holonet booth dedicated to communicating with the Emperor, and banks of large view screens. There, in the company of the station's designers and construction specialists, Tarkin gave the order for the sublight engines to engage. A faint shudder seemed to run through the orb, though Tarkin thought that the vibration could easily be the effect of exhilaration, coursing through him in a way he hadn't experienced since his teenage years. Then, with almost agonizing sluggishness, the battle station began to leave its fixed orbit. Ultimately, it surpassed the speed of the planet's rotation, emerging from the shadow of Geonosis and moving into deep space. So before I talk about anything else, the number one thing that jumped out at me about this book, because, you know, not much wrong is going to jump out at you about a Lucino book. It's not even anything that's wrong with this book. It's something that might bear a similarity similarity to another book. Is anyone else reminded of another uneasy alliance between Darth Vader and a tactical mastermind who suspected who he really used to be? Yeah. I don't know. That's that's a a Forzon conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. You're out. You're out. You're out. That was good. That's a Ryan joke. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, Gary. We've got that position filled. (laughs) Yeah. Are, are you saying are you saying that he, that uh, in this book he's basically just white thrawn? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's not anything against Lucino. Clearly, Zahn has been reading him. Yeah, I mean, this was yeah. written before. It was uh, written way before Thrawn Alliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was just a thing. I was like, wait a minute, this sounds so familiar. Are they going to Batu or Mercana? You really get the feeling in this like that Sidious or Sheev. Is like that parent that's like, no, no, you two play well. You two, you know, you like baseball. He likes baseball. Be friends. He made a play date. Well, he also likes pitting them against each other, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, which is his main idea. His main form of entertainment, too. Yeah. Yeah, He doesn't have a lot of joy in life. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't get to do much. It's just giving people jobs and going, do it. (laughs) The other thing that I think it's not the fault of the book, because it was written... What year was this book? Uh, 2014. 14. So it's written several years before Rogue One comes out. Yeah. And 
there's no reference to Orson Krennic, which makes sense because Orson Krennic didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this book is canon, and Rogue One is canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of kept waiting for the, for Krennic to show up, and then had to keep reminding myself, "No, wait, this was before." Most unfortunate about the security breach on Jeddah, Director Krennic. After so many setbacks and delays, and now this. We've heard word of rumors circulating through the city. Apparently, you've lost a rather talkative cargo pilot. If the Senate gets wind of our project, countless systems will flock to the rebellion. When the battle station is finished, Governor Tarkin, the Senate will be of little concern. When has become now, Director Krennic, the Emperor will tolerate no further delay. You have made time an ally of the rebellion. I suggest we solve both problems simultaneously with an immediate test of the weapon. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't this like the first actual of the, the new canon canon books? The no. second. Yeah, second. second. Okay. I new, knew it was early. The new dawn came first. Air to the Jedi was yes. first, I thought. Well, yeah, Air to the Jedi is first. Well, in Wikipedia they list a new dawn as first. Yeah. So or at least that's the first one by the Disney Story Group which they list as the beginning of the new canon. This this is clearly written for old canon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there there's are, a lot of Plagueis stuff in there here. There is a lot of Plagueis stuff in here. Yeah. Which I will never complain about. That's actually something I wanted to ask because I have in my I have Plagueis in my Kindle. I just hadn't read it yet. Do it. Do it. Do guy. Yeah, it's like it's on the list. Do it. I was reading this, and every time we got to the sheave sections, and I was like, this feels very much like I was would expect to see in the Darth Plagueis. And I wonder how much got tweaked to make this canon. There's a couple of books in this area, like Heir to the Jedi, that are kind of, yeah, where they had to kind of set it in a canon that didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of bridges the two. I What I find fascinating is, so he writes Plagueis, the greatest Star Wars novel of all time. He writes Plagueis, and... Uh, and then it becomes non-canon. Um, and he doesn't know that when he's writing Tarkin. But in Tarkin, he's kind of referencing and he, he, he ends up because it's canon. He ends up saving some of the things from his Darth Plagueis book mm-hmm. by pulling them into canon by being in this book. And then later he gets to write Catalyst, mm-hmm. which is the story of the Death Star now in the new world where Krennic exists. So it's like he keeps to kind of keep correcting himself as the galaxy changes. He gets other chances to kind of go over some of the same territory. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was really cool. Like he gets to kind of adapt with the, with the series. Well, I wasn't kidding when we started, when I said it, this book, just Krennic didn't matter to this book. It It's my own like little book head canon mm-hmm. to make excuses for why they can both be right. He's just another pain in the ass to, uh, to Tarkin. Whereas Krennic considers Tarkin like the, you know, his nemesis, whereas Tarkin's just like, who are you? You're some, you're some dude in a cape. Yeah, it's like that bit from Mad Men. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I think in Rogue One, though, Tarkin's fairly aware of who he is. You know, he's, I mean, he's consciously trying to take the project away from him. I love. What did you guys think of the depiction of Tarkin? I, I thought, I thought Lucino grabbed onto something about him, and uh, and I thought he did a really good job. Yeah, I wasn't expecting Edgar Rice Burroughs as Tarkin. <laughs> yeah, but like, he looks like a bird of prey. Mm-hmm. And so I I like that he was kind of made into this survival hawk like almost predator deep down. Mm-hmm. You know? 
I, I read complaints uh, from reviews on Goodreads about that he wasn't made sympathetic, and I didn't expect him to be made sympathetic when you first meet Christ, him. No. When you first meet him, he's threatening a helpless teenage girl who's being held down by the seven-foot man in black armor. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it, signing the order to terminate your life. I'm surprised you had the courage to take the responsibility yourself. Princess Lear, before your execution, I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony that will make this battle station operational. No star system will dare oppose the Emperor now. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Not after we demonstrate the power of this station. In a way, you have determined the choice of the planet that will be destroyed first. Since you are reluctant to provide us with the location of the rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. He's, yeah. he was, I never thought he would be a sympathetic character. Yeah, There's no way Tarkin should be a sympathetic character. And I say this as Tarkin, the, I'm assuming this is the reason I'm here because I've said this many, many times. Tarkin is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. He's a completely unrepentant villain, but he's an amazing character. <laughs> and I love him. He doesn't... Uh... No, there, there's there's no need to redeem Tarkin with this book. That's not no, what this is about. This is just about deepening his character is what this is about, right? Yeah. I honestly had not expected him to be so physical. Mm-hmm. I thought he would be more of a leading from the back, kind of sipping sipping wine in a tent kind of leader. Yeah. And and not to have that background where he was on a he was a brutal person from a brutal planet. Which I did like that. No, I, I do like that. And it points out why he believes in fear is how you maintain control. The Emperor and and, and uh, Tarkin and Vader all kind of self-consciously understand they're kind of the triumvirate yeah. that is running the Empire right now. You know, uh, I will say um, uh, I didn't know he was such a clothes horse. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of talk about clothes. <laughs> a lot of yeah. talk about clothes. River you know? kids, fashion first. <laughs> An analysis of trends in military fashion on Coruscant suggests a more tailored approach, a protocol droid was saying. Tunics continue to be double-breasted with choker collars, but are absent shoulder boards or epaulets. What's more, trousers are no longer straight-legged, but flared in the hips and thighs, narrowing at the cuffs so as to be easily tucked into tall boots with low heels. A commendable alteration. Tarkin said. May I suggest then, sir, flare-legged trousers in the standard issue grey-green fabric, of course. Accented by black knee boots with turned-down topside cuffs. The tunic itself should be belted at the waist and fall to mid-thigh. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was cool. I mean, I, it gives you some personality to the guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he thinks he's Space Hugo Boss designing his Space Hugo Boss uniforms. <laughs> And he wasn't too far wrong. It's a show. No, he looks great. He looks great. He looks great. And I also really loved, I mean, there's a lot of things I loved, but 
kind of speaking about the end of the book, I love when he's having the conversation with Vader and the Emperor at the end, and the Emperor is like, the, the, it ties into the, from a certain point of view, where the Emperor says, once this base is completed, you'll have the most powerful thing in the universe. And you obviously, that's a bait line. And Tarkin's able to, smart enough to go, yeah, no, I, I won't have the most powerful thing. That That's you and the Force. <laughs> How does it work out? I mean, going back to our what if, but like, if Tarkin doesn't die... Is that better or worse for Vader? Like, is he good for Vader? Hmm. They do seem to work together well by the end and in subsequent books and, and. Well, they represent, they, 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 they talk about this triumvirate and it's like Tarkin dying throws that out of whack. Yeah. You know? Well, Tarkin seems to be the one of the two of them that has a better psychology or understanding psychology of how to rule through fear. Vader is, I'm angry and I'm going to choke people to death. And the emperor, and, and, you know, Sheev is like, ah, ha, 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 lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Whereas Tarkin's like, you know, someone's got to make the trains run on time. Well, even in the more sober conversations with Sheev in this book, he's basically saying like, I don't give a shit about this empire. Mm-hmm. Well, we just want the ancient Sith knowledge. We're just like, trying to create a Sith empire. I don't care about any of this. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I pretend to, I, I thought that was a really keen read on the fact that like, get to remember these are, he's an evil space wizard. He's mm-hmm. not actually someone who's in, who's interested in governing. <laughs> so yeah, he is like, he says what he had to get rid of the Jedi so that he could go into that Sith cave and learn the true secrets of the dark side. Right. And the whole creating the empire was just so that, yeah, I got my space now. Leave me alone. Yeah, politics sucks. I don't want any part of this. I thought that was neat. You hadn't read this before, right, Gary? That is correct. This is my first read through. This is Beth. You're like fifth. Um, no, only my third. Look, it's Lucino. I'm going to read Lucino a bunch of times. And I actually hadn't gotten around to reading this because I'd heard some negative reviews from people who are like, they said it didn't give them what they wanted in a backstory from Tarkin. And I'm like, but that's why I want to read it. And then I read it and I'm like, oh, this is backstory. This is, what, what the hell book did you read? Well, what book did you want? Yeah. Did you, did you want him to be like a wholesome family man? Right. From from the white picket fence planet? No. The only knock I'll say against it is that it feels like the the Holonet story felt a little small. It, it felt like the, the, the heist was a little tiny. The mm. um the characters in general of that group, the the proto rebels, they they were just there to show how smart Tarkin is. Yeah. And, w- and they weren't, I didn't care. I didn't care about them. I didn't need them to be people. I didn't need to care about them. They were just there to show that, you know, I almost called him Thrawn. Tarkin was smart. Once the carrion spike gets stolen, it gets a little more, a little more momentum. But until that point, I'm like, why does Palpatine send his two most powerful people to check on if someone's hacking the holonet? <laughs> Well, because the dark side of the force said, hey, you need to have them check that, which, you know, how many times? Yeah, the dark, <laughs> which how many times have we seen that even in the, the Zon books of I feel something weird in the dark side of the force. Go check that out. Well, and that was one of our major problems with that throne book was, yeah. was that was using that as a as an excuse. And for me, it's like the big trap with these proto rebels is the fact that it seems like he felt like he had to make them extremists so that we would not care that they get killed. Because, you know, yeah, we're going to do, you know, we don't care about bystanders. And those people, you know, they do the Kevin Smith argument of, well, they knew who they were working for, the the people on the base. We don't. So it doesn't matter that we blew up civilians as well as Imperials. 
I'm a big fan of the carrion spike. I think they brought it back in the comics. It's a cool ship. Didn't they, Ryan? Was yes. It in the comics? Afra? Yes, it's an Afra. They, uh, I can't remember if they refit it or they just name one in tribute because there's the, they name one after Tar, there's the Tarkin. And then, yeah, the spike comes to. Would you know, do you know what the carrion spike is based on? You know, the, the, the thing that they used in the prequel episodes to the Clone Wars movie? Uh-huh. The Battle of Christophsis stuff. Okay. And, they, and they had like this, like, it was almost like the movie. Um, uh, what's that terrible film called? Um, the Core. The Clone Wars movie. <laughs> with uh, with um, oh, yeah. Aaron, Eck- Aaron Eckhart and Hilary Swank. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that, but it's kind of kind of based on that experimental because that ship had a cloaking device. Mm-hmm. He's very calm about it being stolen. Like I know he wants oh, yeah. it back, but he doesn't get very angry about it. Well, he's very calm about everything. Yes, he he's very chill. Yeah, he's a very even keeled, which is again why I think he's a good counterpoint to Sheev and Vader. You know, he's very much the whole no, no. Let's think about this for a minute. He called him Sheev to his face. Yeah. Yes. Palpatine quirked a sly smile. You will be Iriadu's finest leader, Willhoff. Thank you, Sheev. Tarkin said with obvious sincerity and using Palpatine's given name. It was, that was a great moment. It was a tr- mm-hmm. I, that might be where they revealed the name. Is it? Like when, maybe. When did oh. they reveal the name? I mean, because in in Plague, it's fun. again. That's what I was talking about with with Lucino in Plagueis. He had to write his he had to write circles around the fact that he couldn't say his his name. Oh yeah. And then in this one, he gets to unveil his name. <laughs> so it's like he keeps getting to go back and rework the same stuff. I'm looking at it now. Here we go. Yes. Tarkin is the first time that Sheev is called that. Nice. It feels like it when you read it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it did feel like a big deal. Yeah. You're like, whoa. Yeah. I'm on first name basis with the emperor. You know, no, no. Yeah, it says that too. He's like, so, you know, we're on first name basis, but he usually doesn't, you know, this is my boy Sheev. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the scenes where he's with Palpatine and Vader. They're my favorite ones in the book because, you know, we get so little time with him, even with Rogue One. We still get, you know, relatively so little time with him. Mm-hmm. But he is a peer to them, you know, like, I mean, not really to Palpatine. Every Everybody's a, a, a pawn to Palpatine. Yeah. Like he stands up for himself and he he, he doesn't the, the emperor doesn't scare him. Yeah, that's what they do. The emperor scares every single other imperial, including Vader. But for some reason, the Emperor doesn't scare Tarkin. And I think that's part of what this book is trying to do is show us why he doesn't scare so easy. Yeah. Because of where he's from. Yeah, that's well, I mean, fear is his thing. He doesn't that he's he knows, you know, it's like not to fear. Would you call it the mind killer? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But and and part of it may be the fact that, you know, he's known Sheev since he was just the, the senator. He's like, yeah, I've known him for that. Yeah, I know his his face is all jacked up now, but I still remember this guy when I met him to fifteen years ago. That's true. They, they they are contemporaries, right? You know, it's hard to be intimidated by somebody you've known that long. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You're the emperor now. I remember when you were nobody. It's but true. they weren't really contemporaries. Um, Tarkin was pretty young, and she was already a senator, so mm-hmm. he was kind of like a mentor. Yeah, I guess. So that's just how big. Tarkin's balls are that, you know, somebody he once saw as a mentor and now as the emperor, he's like, what up, chief? But uh, we get to see the origin of the Grand Moff. Yes. 
and he get he kind of invents it for himself, which is great. He kind of inceptions it into Palpatine, uh-huh. inceptions it, and he's like, he's like, he gives you know what we should really have <laughs> is these these governors who govern entire regions. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. saying I should be one. By the way, I'm not saying it should be me. I'm just saying someone who was smart like me. Someone who designs really sharp uniforms. <laughs> Is it too much like Thrawn? Like, there were times where I was reading this book where I kept waiting for Eli Vanto or something. Like, but That's what I'm, I'm wondering is how much of this Timothy Zahn might have used as inspiration. Yeah, because but- it's, it's so similar. And this is, again, as we've said, the, the new Thrawn is not the same as the old Thrawn. He was... He was reimagined. So was he reimagined in this vein? But Lucino could have also been inspired by original Thrawn. Look, that's what I was going to say. Like, is original Thrawn what happens if Tarkin doesn't die on the Death Star? Yeah. Maybe. Go back and do Heir to the Empire. Replace Thrawn with Tarkin. Tarkin. Not a ton of stuff has to change. Like, they're, they're pretty similar. Mm-hmm. They have similar philosophies of bringing about as much power and force as necessary to get your goal. Yeah. And like one thing like I like about this book a lot is the whole part with the Vermooks, Vermooks, mm-hmm. however you say them, and kind of his battle with them and the kind of ending thing, you know, where he uses the, what, Lord, he gets shadowed mm-hmm. to, kill him or whatever and it takes all the vermooks out like i think that is kind of taught him if he didn't have that he'd take vader and the emperor out like oh yeah and that that kind of would be his downfall if he did like he knows like yeah i'll lose if one of these wins so i'll kind of support them both and play along with it but yeah at the end of return of the jedi is very different if tarkin's still around like the rebellion Mm -hmm. doesn't win yeah, and there's kind of a purity to him in that uh, in his method of evil of, you know, I want order, and the best way to bring order is to make sure everybody is too afraid to disobey me, and doesn't even blink at the whole. Yeah, you know, the, like the the massacre on whatever four, where it's like, yeah, we've got our own people there, get them anyway. It's easier just to take everybody out, including our own. He is here, Obi Wan Kenobi. What makes you think so? A tremor in the Force. The last time I felt it was in the presence of my old master. Surely he must be dead by now. Don't underestimate the Force. The Jedi are extinct. Their fire has gone out of the universe. You, my friend, are all that's left of their religion. So one thing I really liked about this book, one of the many things I really liked about this book, is that they do incorporate at least just one clone trooper but Vader's kind of rude to him. Mm-hmm. When the stormtrooper operating the equipment accidentally allowed the flattened sphere to bang against the edge of the cargo hold's retracted hatch, Vader stamped forward with his gloved hands clenched. I warned you to be careful. He shouted up at the trooper. My apologies, Lord Vader. Wind cheer from... Excuses won't suffice, Sergeant Crest. Vader cut him off. Perhaps you are aging too quickly to remain on active duty. Anakin always got along so well with the clone troopers that it was really kind of jarring to see him be like really rude. Because in other books, he he gets along really well with like just the men. 
So is it just because he doesn't like being reminded of that face? Because it makes him think of Rex and Cody? Maybe. I think it was yeah. also mainly an re- excuse for him to be able to throw out the you have failed me for the last time line. <laughs> Does Vader know Palpatine's whole plan for the Clone Wars? You know, I bet he doesn't. Like, does he, yeah, does he, does Vader know he was behind the Separatists? Because he must, right? He had to put it together because of Dooku. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Did he ever really know everything about Dooku? Well, I mean, he knew Dooku was in charge of the Separatists and that right, he was a Sith. And then he, and he was a Sith. Yeah. They knew that Sidious was Darth, was Darth Tyrannus's master. Uh-huh. And because that's something, because remember in Dark Disciple, that's what Quinlan Voss is trying to do. Yeah, He's yeah. trying to get to Sidious through, okay. through Dooku. Yeah. All right. So I want to um, see how that plays out. Right. Like, how did that conversation go? Yeah. <laughs> Danikin put all that together. Like, so everything is your fault. I can also see, though, Anakin just being such a, I don't want to think about it. It's a painful time in my life. I don't like to look through those memories. It's intrusive thoughts. That's more of him crying in his armor like, oh, God, what did I do? (laughs) This is one of my favorite, even though I loved Dark Lord and other stuff. This is one of my favorite depictions of Vader I think we have Mm. in print. You know, he has that kind of he has that moment where he snaps at the clone. He's like, are you getting too old? Mm-hmm. Um, he has his moments of violence. Clearly, he, he's, he's clearly evil, but he also has conversations uh-huh. in it in a way that we don't. He's not a monosyllabic villain like yeah. he him and Tarkin have in-depth conversations because Anakin was a bright and intelligent person. And he still is that. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, his his interests have just changed. <laughs> so yeah. I like I love those scenes. I like that yeah. Tarkin knows who he is. Tarkin grew convinced that Vader knew him much better than he let on, and that behind the bulging lenses of his face mask, whatever remained of Vader's human eyes regarded him with clear recognition. More than anything else, it was those initial feelings that had provided Tarkin with his first suspicion as to Vader's identity. Later, Observing the rapport the Dark Lord shared with the stormtroopers who supported him, and the technique he displayed in wielding his crimson lightsaber, Tarkin grew more and more convinced that his suspicions were right. Vader might very well be Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker. And tries to bring up things that, you know, they can talk about together, trying to, A, you know, yes, he's trying to make sure, like, are you really who I think you are? And yeah. be like, hey, I, I know we have a history together, buddy. So we should be able to talk. Yeah, it's like he's giving Vader. It's like, I don't want to commit to him in case it's not. But here's the, the you know, here's the line. If you want to pick this up, you know, giving him those openings of, hey, I, you remember when you said this? And he paraphr- you know, the bit when he paraphrased or, you know, he just yeah. throws out those opportunities where Vader could say, oh, yeah, by the way. Well, and Vader seems genuinely interested in hearing about his story about mm-hmm. him becoming king of the evil space monkeys. That's actually one of my favorite scenes in the book is when Tarkin is giving that story and he realizes, no, we're actually having a conversation. Yeah. You know, when he yeah. realizes that there's actually something that Vader's like interested in looking at him and talking to him is like, well, I mean, to Vader, it's a friendly face. Right. I mean, like in, in the scale of things, I mean, you mm-hmm. could never call say that they face. weren't that friendly. No, but it's someone he knew from before that he got along with that he had a respect for that he could just have a conversation. I don't I don't know. I thought there was something almost God help me almost moving about 
that. Tarkin yeah. is what Anakin wanted. Like he wants to bring order and he wants one person in charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a singular strong people to lead the everybody. And that's what Tarkin is. Yeah. I mean, he's not in charge, but he represents that like yes. order that Anakin wants so bad. Like I was saying before, they the three of them have a very similar endpoint goal. I know I bring it up all the time, but like it is it is fun. Like in Rome, what's called the first triumvirate was mm-hmm. um, Julius Caesar, Caesar, Pompey, and a guy named Crassus. And they were ruling Rome for like 10 years. And when one of them died, when Crassus died, that's when the war broke out between the other two. Mm-hmm. And so when they call this to triumvirate, like I said, I just feel like once Tarkin's taken out of picture, it kind of throws the whole thing out of out of whack. And it changes, changes this balance. Yeah, and it's when Vader starts going, I need to get the kid in the family business. Well, it's also when Vader almost seizes more power, right? Mm-hmm. When the next, you know, we had because in 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 A New Hope, Vader is almost subservient to Tarkin. Yeah, right. He yeah. He, he almost takes his orders. In Empire, Vader's got a ship so big <laughs> that it blots out the sun. Right. Vader comes back strong in Empire mm-hmm. as now he is in charge. Right. He, he doesn't have to. Sh- he's not sharing with anybody. Right. Like you know, mm-hmm. a Piet Gergerod. Uh, obviously, you know, that douchebag Ozel, none mm-hmm. of those guys, they, they can't say a word to him. Right. He he now has sole executive power in a way. Right. And it, it, when he was kind of sharing it with Tarkin before. Well, you lose the balance between the Empire being run militarily and space wizard wizardry or whatever yes. it is. And so once yeah. he's gone, we go full in on space wizards and getting a new person to come be a space wizard with you. And I think you see that you see Vader starting to go like down to the planet when he's not supposed to and mm-hmm. all that kind right. of stuff. Whereas I don't think that would happen with Tarkin. Well, and remember they don't really build the second death star to blow up other planets. They build the second death star as a trap for the rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Even like so, so even even that kind of doctrine is out the window, and it's all about Sithiness. Well, and Leia's lying about you know Vader being on Tarkin's chain. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot more to that that I don't think we've ever seen. Like, as far as what Vader really controlled and what Tarkin controlled. Like at that point, Vader's just kind of his enforcer. He's not a military leader per se, at least from what we see. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, but Anakin was, Anakin was a general. Anakin was, but Vader, it seems is more of just, you know, your odd job henchman. He's kind of beyond rank though. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the idea is he's, he doesn't have a rank, but he has all the ranks. He's beyond rank, but what's his role? It's really hard to identify his role outside of the movies or in the movies. He's Chief's special friend. <laughs> it's his traveling companion. Oh, they kind of talk about it in the book too, at the one point with the, the proto rebels where there's, where they're basically talking about, you know, what is Vader? He's the, the emperor's attack dog. Is he a general grievous? How many Vaders does the emperor have in a storage closet somewhere? Yeah. I, I mean, I really like that. And there's been a couple depictions this way where Vader's almost a myth. Like, yeah. you've heard about this thing that, you know, comes out and has a lightsaber and will choke you and kill you, but nobody really knows if it's true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like Vader's evil Batman. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I would say like if there's the, in the scene with Masamada, Masameda, uh, when Tarkin's talking to him, he mentions the fact that the emperor doesn't come out anymore. Right. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not, the people haven't seen him. He doesn't show up at the Senate. And, and that's because we know Palpatine doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. He points all that out to to Tarkin that he's not coming around anymore. That's what Vader is. Right. Vader is his avatar because Palpatine is busy in his room looking at books all the time mm-hmm. you know so vader is the emperor's will outside of basically the walls of the castle now i just have this vision of sheev stuck in a little dark room somewhere writing emo poetry <laughs> i mean he's reading ancient texts and you know it's like on buffy you always gotta go in and get the ancient texts <laughs> and that's all he's doing but i think in the vader is meant to impose his will you know, yeah. and be his will in the yeah. galaxy, be his fist. Well, and that was another part in the book that I found fascinating when we get the, the sheave sections and he's talking about the whole point of the Sith having two is one of, you know, to get the power of the dark side, one of them is supposed to be bait and the other one then grabs the power. And I'm like, wait a minute, I need more on this. Uh, you need to read Darth Plagueis. <laughs> yeah. I like this book a lot more this second time through than I did the first time. I think I was a little disappointed the first time. Um, mm-hmm. for some reason, maybe because I didn't quite get this, the grasp on who he was as much, but this time it really sold me on the man that we saw on screen, that this could be him. Yeah. That like, he could cut your throat if he wanted. He's oh, yeah. Christ- he's, he's not Peter Cushing. He's Christopher Lee, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In real life. <laughs> yeah. And I also have to give it up. Speaking of that, I have to give up James Lucino. It's, I was reading this book. I could hear him. I could hear Cushing. Yeah. Saying all these lines without a problem. All those rolled R's, which I love. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I could hear that. And I also love when he would do the little bits of, and he pinched his lip and grabbed his elbow. <laughs> yeah, I remember that moment. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like that he, I think he does a good job uh, with Palpatine and Vader as well. Like, he, he does a nice sober Palpatine, mm-hmm. you know, which which I like. I, I like when you get to actually hear Sheev you know, having actual conversations because he is still a human being. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I liked, I think he does a good job with those conversations when he's not, you know, the non cackling ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I kept also kept thinking about the, it was like, I, as I was reading this, I kept thinking about, it was like Hannibal Lecter. I'm, it's like when I'm watching Silence of the Lambs and Lecter is doing the escape and I'm rooting for him and then he escapes and you realize, wait a minute, I've just been rooting for this guy yeah. who's eating people's faces to, to get away. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, I can't wait for Tarkin to catch these guys. And then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> now, having read it, I'm much sadder that I haven't read Darth Pelagius yet and wish I'd read this earlier. And now I think I want to do a read uh, just back to back of Plagueis, then this, then Catalyst. Yeah. Because I feel like that would be one long, good story. Yeah, it would. I would stop over at Dark Lord, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dark Lord is a good book, too. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there is a danger. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for joining us again. My, my absolute pleasure. I always love talking about Star Wars, especially with the three of you. You're very knowledgeable and you're my favorite Star Wars podcast. And I've said that publicly in many other places, too. So thank you for having me. You are welcome. Anytime. We may talk to you after you read Darth Plagueis. Oh, definitely. We'll always go back to that.
Mm-hmm. Although I did just finish downloading uh, Thrawn 3, so that's next. We we understand. <laughs> we're all doing the same thing. We're all doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what we're doing next. What we're doing next is uh, it's it'll be the holiday season. Uh, and so we are going to be going through the very lovely uh, Life Day Treasury by <laughs> Kevin Scott and George Mann. It is eight stories about um, it's not all about Life Day. Every story is about a different winter holiday, i.e. Christmas, uh, celebrated at different galaxies uh, or at different planets around the galaxy dating all the way back from the high Republic to the era of the resistance. I'm almost done with it and it's very sweet and, and, uh, and a, a very nice light read life day, the holiday that's contractually obligated, but sobriety is still optional. Exactly. <laughs> um, we are also going to be having a short discussion about because we talked about the Lego Halloween thing. We realized we had never talked about the Lego Christmas special mm. that they did last year so we'll probably pair it up with that and have a nice little holiday episode before we uh take a little bit of a break for the end of the year to read almost 600 pages of to read thrawn. the 600 <laughs> to read the 600 page thrawn book and then come back with our discussion about that yes that's true we're gonna we're gonna need that extra time remember how we said that we were disappointed that zon was hindered in his book length before mm. <laughs> <Not> this time <laughs> careful what you wish for Yup. <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining us and we will talk to you all soon. You may fire when ready. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger!